0: Welcome to the Winged Wheel podcast. Here to talk all things hockey. Are your hosts Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger.
1: I try to really make sure our tone doesn't come off too high and mighty know-it-all cuz it's very easy when you you know record a podcast to lose sight of the fact that other people are listening and you're not just talking to your buddies. And so when we sound really sure of ourselves or that we're, you know, saying something completely correct or we're doing anyone a favor, know that that's not our intention at all and that we completely understand how much we get wrong. Although I will say we acknowledge and applaud ourselves for the favor we're doing Red Wings fans today because as of right now, Wednesday night, there has not been end of season media availability for the Red Wings and there has been no news of Jeff Blashill, and I know for a damn fact that the moment I hit publish on this episode in a couple of hours, it's all going to come flooding in. This episode will immediately be rendered useless, and we'll have to wait until Sunday to, to update the news. So, uh, everyone waiting with bated breath, you're welcome,
2: and we're truly martyrs. I am aware of the limitations of my own intelligence, and there's only two things I'm sure of. I think. Therefore, I am. And late night, bad timing, Steve Eisman news breaks. That's it. Those are the only two things I am absolutely 100% sure of in this life. I I
1: genuinely sometimes wonder if Eisman is aware of like everyone saying, oh, we think the Hill News is going to come quick. Like this is what we've heard. This is what we – this is our opinion on it. And he's like, all right, all right, fine. I'm in no rush. I'll hold it for another week now just because. <laughs> i went to go on vacation. Came
2: back. Oh, yeah. My bad. I think it could even be a thing of, wait, I had to make an announcement. His contract expired. He no longer worked for the team. I didn't feel like I needed to address this.
1: <laughs> uh, Steve, what are we going to do with the coach? The coach. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jeff, again. A uh, year. Who cares? See you later. <laughs> Obviously, that's not how Eisman operates. But it's sometimes how you feel. I like the... Um, I like the collective anxiety Red Wings fandom, content creators, media all have because we know that Red Wings news can drop at any hour. It really started with Ken Holland on his way out with the Nyquist trade uh, because that came in 1230 to 1am or something somewhere around there, I believe, or maybe even later. And ever since then, we've just been concerned. The Fabry trade followed the same suit. So uh, my notifications are on to say the least. Anyhow, uh, this is us. This is the Winged Wheel Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ryan Hanna.
0: I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan.
1: Evan is currently sitting at about 65% health. Uh, He's fighting his greatest enemy, Pollen.
0: Pollen and the sun right now, apparently. (laughs) Your face. Yeah, you kind of look like Jordy from Star Trek. I can't wait to move because this is so annoying. (laughs) <laughs> i i'm not comfortable at all so i'm just gonna be irritated the entire time but you know maybe give it half an hour and i'll be good if only you had one of these beautiful
1: wing wheel podcast bucket hats evan there'd be no sun on your face right now
0: i don't know about you brad but ryan's video is so blurry i didn't even couldn't even tell <laughs> he looks uh currently he looks like the lead singer of weedus i would agree <laughs>
1: uh yeah for anyone watching on youtube we've been messing around with some different hat suppliers because embroidery for our logo is a little bit uh cumbersome and we want to make sure that if we're selling hats they're good hats so this is a bucket hat a sample bucket hat that we put together it's not bad anyhow hockey talk let's do it winged wheel podcast today's episode what we are going to be discussing is uh some red wings news Uh, a couple players uh, from this season are heading overseas uh, and leaving the nhl um there's been a few rumblings in buffalo that is an evergreen comment but this time Seems really bad. We'll talk about that. Um, coaching, the coaching carousel hockey zone silly season has started, uh, in the NHL. So we'll update on some movement, uh, especially relevant to Detroit. And then part one of our Detroit Red Wings season in review, we try to do a recap after every season, same way we do a preview. Um, and this year we're splitting it up into at least a couple parts. So we'll be starting that today. Uh, maybe some playoff predictions and overtime. So eventually these episodes will get shorter i don't know at the time of recording how long this episode will be but eventually they'll get shorter but it doesn't seem like it's going to start today
2: no uh, absolutely not we got to save some content for the off season so for all of you who've been asking about like expansion protection list conversations and more draft stuff and all that it's coming but we have to let you sweat it out for a bit first And just before we get
1: into it, I do want to do uh, my requisite requisite shout out to the Jamie Daniels Foundation. It's a children's foundation initiative established in memory of Jamie Daniels and founded by Jamie's father and Red Wings lead announcer, Ken Daniels and Jamie's mother, Lisa Daniels-Goldman. The foundation strives to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery. Uh, Check out jamiedanielsfoundation.org to learn more and donate. You guys did just raise uh, $4,375. So, again, amazing from all of you. Okay, um, the Red Wings. Both Christian Juice and Matthias Brome have signed contracts or uh, reportedly agreed to contracts to play overseas in Switzerland this upcoming season. Um, It was a little bit expected with juice because, you know, there'd been rumblings the past little while and some people might've guessed with Bromey because his stint in Detroit, um, you know, not awful, but wasn't really, didn't really pan out the way he might've expected. So what does this mean for the Red Wings next year? If anything.
2: Uh, For next year, it means almost nothing because as much as I liked both of them, uh, you know, trademark, they are not needle movers. So it's not the end of the world. It's an extra spot for a young player. I would say if I had any faith that these spots would go to young players, but it, it has to happen eventually. So it's fine. As much as I would have liked to have seen Brome get a lot more ice time than, you know, the... Helms of the world and Juice get a lot more ice time than the Biegas and the Stalls of the world this year. It, it is what it is. It's not a big deal. It's, it's a bit of a waste opportunity because Brome was what he was. He was, you know, a mini Darren Helm, little younger, a little faster, all the same problems finishing. Uh, I actually did really like Juice. There was some potential there. Um, so it's a bit disappointing to see him go, but. I mean, the Red Wings have a thousand defensive prospects in their pipeline and infinity cap space, so not a big deal.
1: Yeah, in, in your point about Juice, like he's obviously has his defensive woes, which is a little bit understating. it. He's not a defenseman that plays defense well, if at all, uh, but he did have that offensive value. And I I think on a different team, he could have fit in in a way that was viable, Um like you said, is it the end of the world that he's leaving? No. And does it make sense? Yeah, because this Detroit team is completely schemed towards defense. So you're crippling the guy's, you know, best asset or best trade and what he can bring to the team. Uh, he's essentially only useful in the power play, which is kind of not what you want from a defenseman. Like if the if you need the entire team to buckle down and play defense to have a chance at winning games, Christian juice is not going to be who you want. So, yeah, I get it. Would have loved for this to be a situation where he could have fit in because I agree he was fun and it was nice to see that offensive flair from the point. Um, But that's also just not the team that the Red Wings are right now. So, missed opportunity. And yeah,
2: agreed on Bromey. Yeah, my my, my big concern with losing Juice, and I shouldn't even say big concern. My only concern is if they also lose Cholosky in the expansion draft because then they – quite literally don't have a power play quarterback option almost in the franchise at this point. I think Sider's capable, but I think we all know that's not going to be his specialty. Um, and even if you ask him to do it next year, I mean, he's a rookie no matter how good he is and how good at that he eventually could be. He ain't going to be it next year. Um, Cause Philip Peronic to the naked eye was a train wreck on the power play and the analytics were somehow even worse. Um. So, yeah, because Juice and Chalosky were really the only two defensemen they had who were, quite honestly, it, it sounds a little overdramatic, but capable as the power play quarterbacks. And I wouldn't even say either of them were particularly above average at it, but capable. Um, so, if if both – one of them has gone, so I, I would hope this is a good sign for Chalosky. That he'll probably get that last protection spot because they you need someone like this at some point in the organization. So we'll see. Time will determine that one. Um,
1: and okay, that's like that that's really the only Red Wings roster news. So let's move on to the bigger roster news. Do we want to start with Iclo? Do we want to start with uh coaches? Up to you guys.
2: Let's get the trade rumors out of the way.
1: Yeah. So Jack Eichel pretty strongly hinted that there's a very big disconnect uh, between him and the team in Buffalo. A lot of it has to uh, relate to uh, the injury that he has. He wants a special kind of surgery that's still largely experimental and pro level athletes and the Sabres are on the um, rehab it with time and you'll be better for next year train. Um, The way the CBA is laid out is that the cards are ultimately in Buffalo's hands um, you know Eichel can file a grievance he can get a second opinion but as of right now Buffalo does make the call but at the same time Eichel is still one of the best players in the league he's one of the best centermen in the league especially he is the franchise piece for Buffalo so even though the cards are in their hand you don't want to piss him off and right now it looks like that line's been crossed a lot of people are speculating that Eichel might not be back in a Sabres uniform next season, and I don't think it's crazy to think.
2: So, his whole statement was pretty damning. Um, he he worded it very eloquently, and he wasn't just inflammatory in the way he said it. Like he did choose his words carefully to make it clear he wasn't unhappy without just dropping f bombs and screw this, I'm out of here. But there was one line that kind of got glossed over a little more than i thought it should have and it was like the very last line in the quote where he said you know my goal now is just rehabbing this offseason and get ready for next season wherever that might be players do not say that unless it is at the forefront of their mind they players are assumed they are going to play for their team forever until they hit free agency. And Eichel's nowhere near free agency. So him saying <laughs> wherever that might be is the biggest red flag. Yeah, Reinhardt's media
1: availability, like it was overshadowed by the whole Eichel thing, but he looks like he wants out too. And his way of saying he wanted out was a little bit more traditional with what you see in hockey. Like you said, Brad, even when a player is extremely upset, <laughs> they're pretty um diplomatic about it just hockey is dull like that like you don't have really nba nfl style for better or for worse you know trade demands publicly um and reinhardt's fit that bill so reinhardt's also in this conversation too but no with eichel that comment of wherever that may be i was like oh my god he might as well have just stabbed kevin adams right there not that i think eichel is like stabbing him in the back or anything but yeah it's a pretty big disconnect we can talk on and on about the train wreck that Buffalo is. And I, I think we'd need a separate podcast for that. And I've heard there's already a, a guy in Buffalo who shouts on the radio about that kind of thing. So we don't want to step on those toes. Um So let's talk a little bit about what comes next, which is Eichel trade rumors. I know, Brad, your favorite. We are going to give this the thought of, you know, what, the, what, what would this look like for the Red Wings? And in general, what would it cost to get Eichel? Because you don't find... A franchise centerman controlled for the next however many years for cheap. That's not, that's going to be an expensive trade, but Buffalo's in a bit of a bind. So maybe he can be had cheaper than people thought.
2: Yeah. Um, I was listening to a lot of podcasts over the last 48 hours because I really wanted to get a good feel. For this situation, because obviously we pay attention to the entire NHL, but we do spend most of the time in our little Red Wings bubble. So I I wanted to really get a good feel for the situation before we talked about it. Because again, a guy like Jack Eichel doesn't go on the trade block often. Like this is this would be a once every 10 years type trade. When was the last time a player of Eichel's magnitude got actually traded when he was reasonably young? Thornton out of Boston?
0: Taylor Hall? That's the only one I can think of. No,
2: Taylor Hall's nowhere near Jack Eichel's level. I don't care what anybody says. Hasn't won a heart. (laughs) Fair. But I would still argue argue Taylor Hall shouldn't have won that heart, but I digress. Um, But yeah, so sounds like because of the injury concerns, the lack of production this season, the uh, turmoil in Buffalo and Buffalo not exactly holding All the chips in this situation, they still hold most of them, which is relevant. But uh, that this might not be as massive as a return as we would thought. Because I would have thought, you're trading for Eichel, you are giving up a star player, a great prospect, and multiple first-round picks. Like, if I'm Buffalo, that's my ask. So, in Red Wings terms, I'm not moving him unless you give me Larkin, Valeno, and two first-round picks. Like... I'm not. I'm not even returning your call unless you leave that in the voicemail.
0: Best I can Which? do is Tyro Hiroshi in a fourth.
1: <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, hold on. I'm going to put this out there for both of you: Larkin, Valeno, and both 2021 first round picks. Do you do it?
0: No.
2: If the Red Wings were closer to contender, contending, I would do it in a heartbeat. But given that most of Eichel's prime would be wasted while this <laughs> team turns it around. I probably would shy away. And I'm not saying no because of value. I'm saying no simply because of timelines. I don't think Detroit makes a lot of sense for Eichel because he's, what, 25? So if even if you're optimistic and you think the Red Wings turn around in two, three years, you're really only getting two to three good years out of Eichel. Now, don't get me wrong. Two to three good years out of Eichel is one of the best players in the world. But you have to be absolutely certain you're a contender in those two to three years. And the Red Wings cannot say that confidently right now. With Eichel and their prospects continuing to develop the way they look like they are, they very well could be. But That is a hell of a gamble to take. But if the price came in less than that, I'm absolutely taking that gamble. A thousand out of a thousand times. And I'm not thinking twice about it. But I don't, I quite honestly though, I think Buffalo's, going to get better offers because there are teams who are more interested that have more to give. So even if Detroit wanted to, I don't see them winning this bidding war.
0: I also think it's a terrible look optically for the Red Wings. If they move Larkin and the hall, isn't a King's ransom. Like if the Red Wings didn't fleece Buffalo and traded Larkin, I think the city would burn because you just traded your captain, someone the fans have really rallied around and really like. And you got a guy who's been very vocal about not wanting to be somewhere and you don't want Detroit to become the next place he doesn't want to be. So the hall would have to be Matt, like it would have to be a fleece for a lot of Red Wings fans to, to really appreciate that trade if it involved Larkin. I don't think
1: I I don't disagree with you, Evan. I just don't think with mega trades like this, when you're talking about the the you know moving Jack Eichel, for, think back to the Eric Carlson. I don't think you can properly diagnose or assess a trade until afterwards when you're dealing with big stars like that. It's just too difficult. There's too much value being moved around, and you don't know how things are going to land. Like the Carlson trade is essentially a 180 of what people thought, or what a lot of people thought it would be at the time. Um, and so I think it's harder to assess those deals. I also think it's it's harder to fleece a team. And if I'm going to be a little bit sacrilegious, the only circumstance where I think it would be appropriate for Detroit to, you know, don't think twice trade the captain and the heart and soul of the team is when you're getting a player of Jack Eichel's caliber. I really don't want to understate how good Jack Eichel is. Like take this year out of the picture. This is one of the best players in the NHL. He's just playing on a terrible team. Red Wings fans should know all about players' true performances being muted because they're in a, a, on a bad team. Like very few, the only Red Wing with really good output this year didn't play on the Red Wings most of the year. Like we know all
2: about that. So, and Jack worth, Eichel would be a haul. And it wor- it's worth noting Eichel played this entire season very hurt for the times he was playing. So it, it's easy to forget how dominant Jack Eichel was because the season before. Um, up until he, a or I think it was final month of the season, Jack Eichel was very much in the heart conversation. Like he was an, a legit MVP candidate two seasons ago. So yeah, it, it would happen. But I, I think we can talk about the Red Wings specific assets and window and everything we want. But when I'm looking at a Jack Eichel trade, I look at the New York Rangers and I look at the L.A. Kings and I go, both these teams make way too much sense and they have way more to give up than the Red Wings do. What was it when the when the farm system rankings came out? Detroit was like third, and the two teams ahead of them were L.A. and the Rangers, and they are closer yeah. to competing than the Red Wings are. Yeah, if closer if to
1: competing. You- better city like sorry like more desirable cities in general that players like to go to they are like those are huge markets like you said they have the cap space they have the assets to give up like it's all there it just makes too much sense
2: yeah like the rangers like if you're talking about the premium piece in the trade for the red wings it would be dylan larkin who's 24 so they're not the the sabers for all intents and purposes are not getting an upgrade in age Mm -hmm. The Kings have a Quinton Byfield to offer. The Rangers have a Lafreniere, a Kako to offer if they want. And then that doesn't even count their stable of prospects. Now, this is where the Red Wings are strong as well, but not as strong as these two teams. And they don't have the premium piece to give up like these teams would. So, like I said, even if the Red Wings were super interested Even if the Red Wings were willing to pay a premium, I still think they'd get outbid by one of these teams. So when it all boils down to it, I don't see Eichel being a legit candidate to end up in Detroit. I don't know what
1: what Kevin Adams' deal is. Like, I don't really know what's happening behind the scenes, so I don't want to make an assessment of his job as GM. I will say if he deals Jack Eichel and he does not get Quentin Byfield capo Caco, maybe alexi lafreniere although i don't think new york would even consider that um or something of that caliber like like you said brad they do both teams do have a lot of high-end players in their system if you don't walk away with one of those
2: players I, so i just don't know hype. what you're doing as gm here's an interesting trade proposal that i was thinking about and and your thoughts on this so factoring in age How quickly each team wants to contend and what their – both of their ultimate ceilings are. If you're the Buffalo Sabres, do you trade Jack Eichel straight up for Alexi Lafreniere?
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. You consider the situation. You consider you have 10 mil coming off the books, which is going to matter to the owners because they're not going to spend that much money on a team that's not performing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. now follow-up question.
0: Rangers would have to move somebody because they've got no cap, cap and they've only cap-ish. got uh, Brendan Smith, rest in peace, coming off the books. Um,
1: yeah, they don't have LA's cap situation for sure, I
0: should. Yeah, heard, so they'd have to get some dollars out going back Buffalo's way because I'm sure as hell Buffalo doesn't want to retain anything on a $10 million salary. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But then follow-up question, like, let's be honest, the salary cap's not real. If Tampa can make it work, everybody can make it work. Also true. If if they're desperate enough. Um, So you would do that trade if you're Buffalo. Now, if you're the Rangers, do you do that trade? I don't. If I'm the Rangers, I really don't.
1: I don't know. Like, you're never going to be, uh, worse off if you're adding Jack Eichel. That should be clarified. But at the same time, I think this, when I say this makes sense for the Rangers, I mean, their owner just fired the president of hockey ops, the GM and the head coach. Chris Drury is going to be under pressure to do something big to push this team further along the timeline because Dolan wants a cup now because windows don't matter. Timelines don't matter. That's why I think it makes sense. Do I do it if New, if I'm New York? I don't know. Like, I, there it's it's certainly a possibility but i'm not jumping at it like i'm not forcing the issue it just they seem reckless right now so i feel like they would just kind of do it without blinking
2: i don't know if i would do it for sure at the rangers but i would strongly consider it because then you're basically building your team like the leafs except they have one thing the leafs don't they've got two young top end goaltenders that is not a concern for that team where it's still a big concern for the Leafs. They have Shisterkin and Georgiev. They already have Panarin and zabenajad Now you put in uh, Jack Eichel in there. You still have two more years of Alexei Lafreniere at an entry-level contract. So that's going to be very appealing for Buffalo. You still have Kako. Capo with one year left on his ELC. And if he, his metrics look like he was progressing well this year. So, I mean, you could build an absolute horse around that top six and that goaltending. If they can get just competent defending, they could be an elite team as early as next year with jack eichel and let's not forget they might have a norris candidate on their roster already adam fox actually he absolutely should be a norris candidate this year i shouldn't even say might he should be the runner-up this year um but yeah i i honestly it makes too much sense for both teams so because this is the nhl it's not even going to be considered
1: yeah it's gonna be something weird like Philadelphia is just gonna decide that they <laughs> screw that what whatever that team has to do in terms of rebuilding they're just gonna do it
0: he'll go to Minnesota or something someone you know evolving hockey
2: yeah,
0: that was kind I of do- my dark horse when I was looking at cap friendly like I see other than the fact that they have no money, but they do have a lot coming off the book this year um there could be some potential there too, but I mean. I guess Jack Eichel, he does not have a no-move clause, right?
2: This It kicks in after this upcoming season, so they have a time limit to
0: trade him. Okay, because if I'm Jack Eichel and they're like, you can go to New York, L.A. or Minnesota, <laughs> I'm definitely going to New York or, or L.A. Yeah, no Evolving, Wild, Evolving Wild
1: put this out kind of like uh, mostly trolling. If you're Minnesota, do you trade... Kirill Kaprizov for Jack Eichel straight up
2: a thousand percent yes
0: my god yes I don't even think twice
1: a lot of Minnesota I think they want really Kapri-
0: I think they want Kirill the thrill to play with Jack Eichel I mean yeah <laughs> that's ideal uh they said that and I was like I
1: almost I'm almost happy the Red Wings aren't in that window i don't mean that at all this is hell please i can't wait till we're good again but i'm always happy the red wings aren't in that window where we have to consider do you trade this who you thought was your franchise player for someone who would definitely would be a franchise player but for a lot more money and there is somewhat some uncertainty like those are tough decisions so yeah um yeah, undoubtedly we're gonna be bombarded like that gif of the kid being hit with backpacks in the classroom uh with i call it, trade proposals so uh we'll we'll pause the eichel talk here we'll see how this progresses uh for what it's worth kevin adams said in media availability that eichel has not requested a trade i don't trust anything at uh, All
2: yeah eichel front. did not request the trade his agent did
1: <laughs>
2: kevin's like yeah i got you there reporters
1: um let's talk about some other movement around the league in the in terms of coaches uh john tortorella uh, agreed with the columbus blue jackets mutually agreed to part ways which i mean has been coming for some time seemed that both parties were that relationship had to run its course and it it didn't end terribly like it didn't all go up a blaze but it just seemed to be the right timing where tortorella was like yep i want out and um kekalainen was like yep you you keep benching our best players uh rick talkett In Arizona, same thing. Uh, Mutually agreed to part ways. And then the massacre in New York uh, continued with Quinn being fired as head coach. So Dolan wasn't done. He had the presence of mind to wait till the end of the season for the head coach, but not the GM and president of Hockey Ops. So Uh, lots of movement. And, of course, no news on Jeff Blasio.
0: Ah, yes. I see where you're a Red Wings fan. (laughs) The pain never stops. No, it really doesn't.
1: Again, I'm so certain it's going to be Thursday morning where this news is going to come out. Like they're going to announce it with the media availability. But at the time of recording, there's no news. Our, I think all three of our guesses are still that Blashill comes back, though. Right? Yes. That is my prediction. Yes.
0: I thought Brad just looked at his phone and had some updated information.
1: I know, and it usually is Brad who, like, he's like, and just five minutes ago. Jeff Blaschel was elected president of Slovenia, so he can't coach next year. Something, something stupid like that.
2: No, I was sending in a trade pro- proposal um, to Crystal. Uh, some of her time and effort in exchange for my water bottle. Mm, I'd tell her to hold out. She can get more of that.
1: Um, all right. What does that mean for coaching around the league? Seattle still technically doesn't have the coach. It seems like the rumors of Rod the Bod potentially leaving Carolina were not found it in a lot of reality it it seems like a deal is almost done there um good guy rod wants to make sure that the staff in carolina are taken care of um what does seattle do here who do they jump on is it someone who is a free agent right now Do do they take an assistant do they take someone from you know the ahl someone from europe maybe do they they look in other leagues across north america um And does any of it affect the Red Wings and show? I know the boring answer to that is no, but just wanted your thoughts.
2: So, Elliot Friedman was reporting that Seattle would like an experienced coach. They don't want someone new. So, I think that rules out the European and the AHL options. So, then you have to look around which seasoned NHL coaches are free agents right now. So, obviously, the first name that comes to mind because he did it with the last expansion team is Gerard Gallant. So, that would make a lot of sense for… Seattle because he's quite literally been there, done that, and he's the only one who can say that in this very unique situation. Um then you look at Bruce Boudreaux, who is still sitting there. And you also have, you know, dare we say John Tortorella? Um, dare we say I don't know if Rick Tockett would fit the bill for experience that they're looking for, but he's he's had enough time as an assistant coach that wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world. But yeah, I think. Out of all the well, openings, he was head coach of Arizona, right? He was head coach of Arizona, but he was an assistant coach with uh, Pittsburgh for a while got before it. that. Got it, got it, got it. Um, so in in my opinion, of all the coach uh, the openings for a coach in the NHL right now, Seattle's the second most appealing. So they will get, for the most part, their pick of the litter um I, I view the rangers as the best opening just because that's a team on the verge of being very very good and a cup contender so if i'm a free agent coach that's choice number one despite how crazy the owner is um you give me a lafreniere a Kako, a, a zibanejad a panarin and adam fox a and i'll make something happen Um, uh, but i think the rangers and kraken are going to be looking at two different types of coaches so i don't know um it, it's a weird weird year because i think columbus and arizona will be competing each other with each other for coaches because i think they're going to want to keep it cheap and maybe are open to the possibility of an ex, inexperienced coach and the rangers and kraken are going to compete with each other because i think they're going to be looking for the they're going to be willing to pay a little more and they're going to look for a little more experience
0: i got a uh tinfoil dark horse pick for this um I'm going to say Paul Maurice. I'm going to say Winnipeg gets bounced in the first round and they haven't won anything under him yet. And they go for a new direction with all the coaches available and Paul Maurice goes to Seattle. You think,
1: I don't know, I kind of feel like Seattle will want it sorted before then. But maybe, yeah, they, they wait to see how the playoffs work to see well, when what When you're bounced in the loose. first
0: round, that's only a week or a week and a half away. That's and just a dark one, horse one. I'm not saying like that's where I'm putting my money, but I could yeah. potentially understand that. And the two teams we hadn't even mentioned yet are is
2: let's not forget Buffalo and Montreal ha- still have interim head coaches. So, given what he's done in Buffalo, I I'm guessing uh, Don Granado is going to stay on as the coach there. He he did an actual pretty good job with them, especially given the circumstances um, after Kruger was relieved. If Montreal gets bounced in the first round, I don't think Ducharme sticks around. So Montreal could be another candidate. Um I don't know how many French Canadian coaches are available because we know how much that's important to them. Um so yeah, I don't know. It's there for the coaches that are available and how many spots are open, it feels like there's going to be one or two big names that are going to be. Uh, left standing at the altar when it's all said and done because if ducharme gets let's go in montreal let's say Gallant goes to seattle boudreau goes to the rangers um columbus and arizona hire some guys out of the ahl you know tortorella could be standing there on the outside looking in talk could be standing there on the outside looking in david quinn i mean if if it goes like that that means montreal is the only job left open that's two pretty significant coaches just left in the dark. I really wish Brenda Moore would have hit the market. Not
1: because I want bad things to happen to Carolina, but because I know he's going to sign for cheap there, cheaper than what he's worth. But if, if he went on market, he would be an expensive draw for some team and they would be crawling over each other for him. And honestly, I would be clamoring for the Red Wings to pick him up too.
2: I absolutely would be too, but I'm not so sure that would happen because the there is – the feeling going around the NHL right now and several big reporters are reporting the same thing that teams are reevaluating how much they pay coaches and executives. Like, are they really worth the amount? Like depending on the team and the situation, it's easy to say, yeah, of course they are. But if you can get an effective coach, like Rod Brindamore was making nothing and he might be the best coach in the NHL. So teams are like, we can get bargains and we're all hemorrhaging money right now. So, do we want to go pay two three million a year for you know i don't know, pick a name john tortorella when you can take a chance on elaine lambert for nine hundred thousand? i think outside of seattle and the rangers that's probably gonna be what any team looking for a coach is gonna do so it's gonna be fascinating because we know who the candidates are we know what the openings are and i don't have any good guess where any of them are going to land. The only one that I can look at and go, that makes a lot of sense would be Gallant to Seattle, which means it's definitely not going to happen.
1: Um, I'm going to redirect us with one kind of final thought in this coaching business. We've all voiced our opinions on what we would like to happen with Red Wings coaching. And that's kind of evolved a little bit over the year. And we'll get into that on part two of the season reviews. We'll talk about coaching, but – um, we've also all voiced our opinion on what we think will happen, which is that Blash will return. I get the sense in general, and, and this is a loose comparison, uh, that the Red Wings in one to two, more likely two years, will be in a similar position to Toronto. Where they were when Mike Babcock left to Detroit to go to Toronto. I don't equate that completely. I, I think Toronto is to hockey – like. You're the only way you find that passion beat in sports in North America is when you get into like college football. Like people are manic about hockey in Toronto and the whole legacy and prestige that comes with bringing a cup to Toronto. Like that's, it's not a slight on Detroit or any other team. It's just that would be the holy grail for anyone who has any kind of affinity towards Toronto and, you know, Canadian guys like Mike Babcock obviously will often have that. But in a couple of years, Detroit is going to be primed to have a ton of fantastic young players on their team. Moritz Sider will be on the team by then. Larkin will be more established. Uh, Zadina will be established. Raymond will be playing by then. Like They're going to be well-geared and moving in the right direction. They'll likely still have another top pick and a chance at a lottery pick in a couple of years. Um, who knows? And the team has a ton of great cap space to work with and an excellent uh, GM whose reputation precedes him. Honestly, I could see Detroit having to pick the litter in two years as one of the most desirable places in the NHL to go coach. And that will be the first time in a long time that we would have been able to say that. Is that biased on my end? Yeah, probably. But it's just kind of how I see things. That's
2: the timeline for like turning it around as a desirable destination, so to speak. So here's my only question to that. If the Red Wings are really turning it around in two years, you're not getting rid of whatever coach got you there. So if that's Blasher or someone else, they're not going to. If they're happy that you don't screw with happy, you're going to keep that coach around. Um, Well,
1: the only – reason first year in Toronto, they weren't good though. Remember that.
2: Yeah, but we all knew where they were going. They had Matthews, Marner, Nylander. Like, this was not shocking. Toronto was unbelievably desirable, but Toronto was also impatient. Um, There's one thing Detroit is painfully not, and that is impatient. Um, The Rangers are a weird one because uh, everybody – like David Quinn seemed to be doing an all right job, and the team turned around. It's just the owner's crazy, so that that was a unique situation. We, Chris Illich is not James Dolan, so we're not gonna have that sudden. Oh my God, what the hell just happened? So especially with Eiserman at the helm, you know I'm sure he's got complete trust. So if he says, Hey, yeah, it's taking a while, but like this is going well. They're not going to rush from anything. So I do think you're right that the Rangers – uh, the Rangers, the Red Wings could be in a very similar position to the Rangers now in a few years. But I think when they get there, they're, it won't be with the new coach or at least they're not going to switch coaches when they get to that point. I think
1: we should not be predicting what Steve Eisman will do. That's the only reason I think it's viable.
2: I Th- think This is more a thought on Chris Illich than anything else.
1: I would, yeah. I-, I think the days are gone where Chris Illich has a lot of say in the coaching. I-, I don't see Eisenman coming on board to this with any kind of the same control that the Illich uh, family kind of exerted over Holland. And that's not to absolve Holland of the moves he made as GM, but there's no question about the fact that the uh, Illiches had their thumb on the go for the playoffs button <laughs> for a long, a lot longer than maybe that should have been the case. Um, okay, that's uh, about 40 minutes of pre-main topic of the episode talk, which is uh, a testament to what the Red Wings offseason has looked like for the past however many years. Uh, let's start our Red Wings 2020-21 uh, season review process. And today, uh, depending on time, we're going to be starting with defense and goalies Um and kind of just moving through discussing what happened player by player uh, in general overall throughout the season, team defense, that kind of thing. And uh, basically dissect what this past season was for Detroit. Where do we want to kick off?
2: Are we we doing player grades like we did last year? I forgot to ask that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, let's do some
2: player grades. Sure. I I think it's going to be complicated with player grades this year just because of a lot of different things. I'm going to do mine relative to expectations going into this season. Because it's easy to say, oh, you know, top player, A+, he was the best player. Oh, worst player, D-, minus, he sucked. How did they perform relative to what we were expecting?
1: So, do we what do we just want to go through the roster and, and yeah. go player by player before speaking?
0: Yeah, because that concept? will
2: lead to bigger conversations, right? And then kind of a okay. general overview at the end. Let's start with the big one, Philip Ronick. Okay, thanks for uh, easing Phil- in. Yeah,
1: uh, <laughs> Philip Peronick, if, if you don't count Verona, who came into Detroit at, after the trade deadline, uh, Detroit's leading point getter with 26 points, 24 of those were assists, a shocking amount were secondary assists. He had two goals, none of, neither of them on a goalie, both from across the ice uh, on an empty net, which in my mind equally is impressive, but still. Um, but also, Philip Peronick had his woes this year. What are How are these player grades going? Are we like based on our
2: expectations expectations of them coming into the season what did we expect from them this season and how did they perform relative to that
1: look i don't know how else to say this besides disappointing and i know the the counting stats are there for heronic and he outperformed a lot of the team and and yeah that's the case like i'm not saying he had a complete drop off He's not all of a sudden a useless player. He's not all of a sudden just, you know, a third pairing defenseman at best, but this was not a good season for him in terms of progression. You want to see a guy like Ronick refine his game and play better. And, and by all rights, there were just attributes that fell off based on last year or his performance that we saw based on his skill set that we know he has. I think a lot of it has to do with utilization. And, and Brad, I'm sure you're going to get into like how he was using the power play. So I'll, I'll let you have that one. But... Um, uh, there are just big gaps. There, was a lot, there were more than a few games with, where Hronik did not look like the best defenseman on the ice, to say the least. He did kind of bring it back a little bit in the latter half of the season, but not enough. If I'm giving a letter grade here, I'm giving him a C at best C+. plus. I, I I want to see more from Hronik as a potential top three d- defenseman on the Red Wings, and, and right now he is that only arbitrarily because there's no one else.
2: Yeah, it's that old Simpsons chant? Default, default. Um, I think a C is fair for Horonic. I, I don't think he was put in a, a position to succeed. I don't think he was put in a particularly fair position. He probably still is the best defenseman on this team. I think it's him or Troy Stetcher, and there's not much of a conversation for anyone else. Um, should he be a power play quarterback? No, he's terrible at it. Was he asking to go out there? No, it was the one who put him there, and he had to make the best of it. Um, he did the opposite of make the best of it. Um, I forget, uh, who was it? Jay Fresh put out a player card where it ranks on a percentage scale zero to a hundred percent how effective a player is at any given thing. And, uh, Philip power play percentage uh, was eight, <laughs> which is yep. eight out of a hundred bad. Um, which is staggering. But again, the eye test could have told us that we knew it. He ate a ton of big minutes. Um, He was okay. Defensively. He was okay. In the transition game. It was honestly his offensive game. That was the disappointment to me because he really did look like his first two seasons, like offensively, there's something there. Not that he's a dynamo, not that he's going to be, eric carlson or any of these guys but like hey yeah 40 points every year a a solid contributor and it didn't happen this year like you said he didn't score a goal for all intents and purposes Uh, secondary assists galore he which means he wasn't generating goals he didn't score any and he wasn't the primary setup man for any for many which is hugely disappointing obviously a good chunk of that is a testament to what he was working with but only some, because he was on the Red Wings' top power play unit, which did prominently feature Philip Zadina and Dylan Larkin and Michael Rasmussen, guys who are known to be pretty good at this thing. So it's not like he was the guy getting paraded out with Sam Gagne and got Valtteri Filippola on the second unit. He had players to work with on the power play. So he was put in an impossible situation And I sympathize with him for that, but
0: he didn't do a lot with it is the reality of it. Yeah, I think if you would have told me that Philip Heronick's only two goals this season would be long bomb Hail Mary empty nets, I'd say you're crazy because that is not the sort of expectations I would have had for Philip Heronick. Um but I think what's clear to me this year is the, he either needs better people around them or he needs to move down the depth chart when the time's right because clearly being a one a number one or a number two guy is not for him. Um, and, you know, when his offense wasn't clicking, his defense wasn't great either. So, you know, it, if you just looked at the box score at the end of the year, you'd say, oh, a Philip Ronick bat was all right um but when you looked a little deeper into it and where those counting stats came from yeah for me the letter grade i thought off the top of my head was a c um sure he had a bunch of assists and whatever <laughs> um but on a night to night basis i don't think he was very good
1: yeah and like the theme across the entire review is that there are certain players who were bad and there're certain players who are in a system that does not, is not conducive to production for anyone. It's not even, it's just not good for them. It's not conducive for any player's production. You're on a team with no offensive talent that's schemed defensively that is going to suck all counting stats dry. And I don't think it's fair to pin, like, like you've both mentioned, it's not fair to pin this completely on Ronick, but as this team improves and maybe he's given some help on defense, like if Moritz Sider has a big rookie season, that should take some pressure off Ronick. Um, you would want to see this bounce back. This needs to be a spring and not just a continuous fall. And so if over the next season or season and a half, we do continue to see Ronick play at this level, that's a big concern. But for now, we kind of just have to hope it's chalked up to this is just uh, he's been a victim of circumstance and down year. And, and he really is one of those players who has to come back next year. Um, all right. I I don't even know what to do. Maybe let's go with Heronix partner here. For better or worse, as often Danny DeKaiser, or at least was through some points in the season. Um, How are we evaluating Danny DeKaiser? I'm going to let one of you open with this one.
2: All right. So the thing working in Danny DeKaiser's favor in these rankings is my expectations for him going into the season were catastrophically low. So the bar was basically on the floor. Uh, that being said, he just barely cleared it. Um, he did look better towards the end of the year. Um, watching him was a fascinating case study. In You can see what he's trying to do. And for the most part, it's the right thing. His body just doesn't let him do it. Doesn't let him do it quick enough, powerful enough. He He can't body guys off the puck like he used to. His outlet passes always seem to be a split second behind. He seems to lose every race to the puck. It seems like as soon as he gets the puck, if there's any pressure on him, he cannot evade it. And then he quickly runs out of options. He just naturally doesn't have the vision to make plays under pressure. So when he is unable to evade the pressure, he's just screwed. So uh, that's context for saying, I understand why Danny DeKaiser was very bad this year. And I absolutely feel terrible for him because for the most part it's not his fault. But the reality is Danny de was very bad this season. Um I'll give him a C minus just because of the context. If we were just evaluating him as a player, it's it's a D minus to an F. But he did all right with what he could control. Um and as the season progressed, which is important, he did seem like he was slightly improving. Again, another player that was put in impossible situations, like he was put out in three-on-three overtime. He might be the worst skater on the team. He's the last guy that should have ever been hopping the boards in three-on-three. And there were some highlight real plays with him in overtime that were not for good reasons. Um, But again, that's not his fault. He didn't throw himself over the boards. He was told to get his ass out there. Um. So, yeah, uh, it's kind of like a, a pity C-minus, but
0: it was still bad. <laughs> um, Danny DeKaiser is the yin of Philip peronic being the yang. I had no expectations for Danny DeKaiser, so I really, you know, didn't, don't know really how to evaluate where I th- where he finished at the end of the season. He's the oldest 31-year-old I'll, in the NHL for sure. He's he's the Benjamin Button. He gets he gets a, a letter grade BB for Benjamin Button. <laughs> um, he is. You would think he's thirty six by now, eh? Oh, that that guy. Yeah, his life insurance policy is ridiculous. Um, yeah. but he did. Scored twice as many goals as Philip Peronik, so you know maybe he should be the power play quarterback. What the hell do I know? Um, yeah, I kind of feel bad for the guy. You know, you there, you can tell there's still something there, but he just doesn't have the the tools to execute it anymore. Um, yeah, it's such a tragic story, really. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm giving him a BB rank well uh what else is there
1: to say (laughs) like piss off
0: you'll hear from (laughs) my lawyers
1: (laughs) i think you know but i think you both nailed it like good guy he's been he suffered from injuries which have taken away his foot speed whatever offensive game he had but again he his game came around where it wasn't a complete train wreck to the point where like outside of things that were out of his control like when like you said brad when he was put on for three on three overtime or or given prominent power play time like outside of that it was kind of just like yeah that's danny we wish he could do more he wants to be able to do more it's not really his fault if this was a team in a cap crunch i'd be a lot more upset but for now danny de is where he is until he's not it's not great you know they're not losing because of him c minus standard whatever Um, Okay. Uh, The next pairing here, we'll start with the Troy Stetcher half of the Stetcher stall pairing. Um, And I know this is going to be a popular one to talk about because I think you're completely right, Brad, in that Troy Stetcher was one of the Red Wings' best defensemen all year with the slight blip at some point when he kind of was injured, where he he had some rough play.
2: Yeah. Don't let Jeff Blashill uh, confuse you with those healthy scratches. Troy Stetcher had a great season. Um I shouldn't say it's not like this season came out of left field. We all knew coming out of Vancouver that Troy Stecher was very positively viewed in Vancouver and fans and uh reporters alike were upset to see him go because they thought it was silly that Vancouver didn't respond re-sign him, especially for the money that Detroit ended up giving him. Um so we we were anticipating a middle pairing slightly above average defense, and we got more than that um analytically uh he was amongst the best defensemen in the n h l for the first half of the season before the injury, especially on the defensive metrics um not the biggest offensive contributor uh but we we knew that coming in, but he did show flashes in the offensive zone he did when he was aggressive, he was effective. Uh, he scored arguably one of the nicest goals of the year off of beautiful feet from Danny DeKaiser, of all people. Um, Again, limited in his vision and playmaking, but good enough. Good in transition. Really great skater. Really phenomenal defensively. So I had, you know, decent expectations for him coming into the season, but he definitely outperformed them. I think the lowest grade I could give him on his season would be a B B+.
1: I'm going to go in here with a B just because I think the blip in his game around mid-season was a little bit longer than I would have liked. It was long enough where I started to question whether or not we were too high on him to start before his game started to come back. And as this Red Wings tradition, we got next to no information about the injury. So like, how do you properly analyze this? Um, but his his game did come back. And I think Brad put it well, like he plays defensive hockey how this Red Wings team wants everyone to play defensive hockey. Not a ton to be said for offense, but there are some flashes there that make it okay enough. Um Yeah, I'll, I'll give him a B. I think B plus is a lot more fair, but just so I don't come in as too much of a homer, I'm going to give him a B. I think Stetcher is, is fantastic for value. The money that the Red Wings have him at is great. I hope they extend him. What a, like, what a solid guy to have on your team. If the Red Wings are good again someday and Stetcher is still playing this well, he'd be a fantastic third pairing defenseman to have to put out in like high pressure kill scenarios that kind of thing like really really good
0: nope couldn't find the mute button (laughs) ah yeah slippery little bugger um yeah and i i've got a buddy who's a diehard canucks fan so as soon as i saw that the red red wings or he saw that the red wings got uh troy stetcher he texted me and said that we've got a pretty solid defender coming our way so um yeah he plays defense very well better than i'd say almost anyone on the red wings um and he had one more goal than philip Hronik this year so uh there is some offensive potential as well so um yeah you is know that gonna we, be your bar all year how many goals you had versus philip well we've got how many more defensemen to go you'll find out yeah um yeah i i would say b plus like he we we knew he was going to be a good defender he did that he had a little bit of offense which i really didn't expect much of um and i think he's going to the world championships playing for canada so clearly there's something there w- with troy stetcher um and he seems like a hell of a guy so i'll I, yeah i'll go with b plus i've totally liked hit the season he had for the red wings uh,
2: based on who's going to the World Championship for Canada, Troy Stetcher might actually be the captain, and I'm not
0: even saying that to be funny. I haven't looked, but I do have that open. Kevin no, Ball open. is going. Who? Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, guys are tired this year. They are not going to play more hockey right now. They're resting and doing things that aren't completely locked down, because that's what have NHL players have had to have.
0: Owen oh, and power's season. going. No, Anyways, I digress. Speak. And Maddie Benitez uh, is going for the States.
1: And I think one of the best things that Stetcher did all season was prop up Mark Stahl. Detroit obviously had Mark Stahl. They had to take him uh as part of an exchange where they got the extra second round pick. And part of that agreement to get Stahl to waive his no trade or, or no move or whatever it was to come over to Detroit was, hey, you're going to get playing time here. This isn't a team that's too worried about who's playing what minutes. You're a veteran. We know you can eat the minutes. We'll give you a chance here. And that's what he got all year. And Stetcher really dragged Mark Stahl up into being honestly viable. Good? No, of course not. But at times you're like, hey, Mark Stahl. My grade on Mark Stahl this year is a generous B minus. Not because I think he's better than players who got a lower grade than him, but because all things considered and where he's at in his career, I think it came in not as horrible as it could have been. We saw flashes of Mark Stahl stepping up into the play on offense, whether it was the ripping the piss missile from 10 feet out right into the bar or like dangling on the the sideboards and making a nice feed out front. Like he did it a few times and he meshed well enough with Stetcher where he, Stetcher brought him up more than Stahl dragged Stetcher down, which I think is an important thing. Um, not someone I care to bring back for the Red Wings, not someone who I think was actually, you know, in a vacuum, a good player, but, in the context of a terrible season where Detroit got paid to take him, I think it could have gone a lot worse.
2: Yeah, again, when I was talking about Dan de Kaiser, I said the bar was at the floor. We got a second round pick to take Mark Stahl. So that bar was through the floor and somewhere near the gates of hell when he came here. Like my expectations were if he plays, I'm pissed because holy shit. Um he came in. His first like two, three weeks were almost somehow worse than we could have possibly imagined. He he almost became a parody of how bad he could be. And then a switch flipped. He wasn't an all-star, but he was decent to good. Teams were inquiring about him. He was a very real candidate to get traded to a contender because they thought he would help their team. Only reason that didn't happen was his cap hit. Um, He showed more than a few flashes of offense that I was positive he didn't have in his game, which was a very nice surprise. And not that he was some defensive wizard, but he was sound. So again, understanding these rankings are how they performed relative to expectation, I, I'm giving him a B. He was fine. And I was expecting the worst player on the team and he was far from it. So Again, not a good player. Don't want to bring him back, but massively outperformed my expectations.
0: Yeah, like Mark Stahl played for one team his entire career and then got traded to the Detroit Red Wings in the midst of a rebuild. I, you know, the guy's making a ridiculous amount of money to play hockey. but I can somewhat feel for the guy, you know, like it, it would be heartbreaking to do that. Um, he doesn't have much game left, but he did score one more goal than Philip Peronick. <laughs> um, so there is some offensive upside there. there. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, it, it, it looked like he still competes, like despite, you know, getting traded from New York, like it looked like he wanted to be there. And I think that's all I could really ask for. Because like that's such a hard situation to have to be put into. Um, I'll give him a B for better than Philip heronic
1: <laughs> Look, look at us giving Mark Stahl Bs and Philip heronic in the Cs, and that's that's legitimately just the parent looking at the smarter kid going, "I expected this from your brother, but not from you." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, happening the- right now? It's nothing to Philip- do.
0: This has nothing to do with the nerds and the, the superstars. This is basically just us just saying this guy had a heartbeat and wasn't a complete train wreck.
2: Like, objectively, Philip Hironik had a better season than Mark Stahl, but expectations for Philip Hironik were much higher. So. Yes. <laughs> like That's yeah. why we laid that out in the
1: beginning. <laughs> and those, like what we just named were the four... I don't know, most prominent defenseman that you can get give grades for. We'll go through the rest, but it'll be pretty quick. And I think it's worth having a little uh interlude in here where we recognize Nemeth and Merrill. I think those two deserve the highest grades on this team before they got traded, if not tied with Troy Stetcher. So maybe me giving Troy Stetcher a B is a bit low. Maybe it should be a B plus. What those guys brought to this team defensively, I think cannot be understated. We saw the effects of that after they removed. And when you talk about guys performing beyond expectations, they're right up there with Stetcher in my mind where what they brought to this defensive core was really, really – it's no wonder they were sought after in trades to say the least. Uh, Stetcher will be similarly sought after next year and probably was this year as well. It's just the injury might have muted that a little bit. So um, those really should be the next two guys that we would have been grading, but they did get traded. So uh, who do I have next here? There's Lindstrom, Juice, Cholosky, and Biega. I don't even know how you rate those guys. Juice gets a C because
2: he gave us some fun on offense, but sucked defensively. So Juice gets a B for breaking that power play drought. And I don't really care about anything else he did all year.
1: <laughs>
2: uh,
1: Gustav Lindstrom. I, I mean, it's not like he came in and shattered the world. I don't. I think we shouldn't expect too much from Gustav Lindstrom moving forward. Not much to say offensively to say the very least, but for a young guy in the position he was in, like fit in defensively. So I'm, I'm fine with Gustav Lindstrom. He gets a solid C, maybe C plus from me. Again, sample size is small, actual impactful games, small, but happy enough with his play. Anytime you see a C, why are you think, if you're thinking, Oh, that's such a terrible grade. It's just, no, it's more that you can't really, I don't know, in my mind, rate too much.
2: I can. He gets an F for fine. He was fine. C plus B minus. That's the that's the grade for fine. Um, he the the good news is I never noticed him on the ice ever. Uh, the bad news is I never noticed him on the ice ever. So he was he is quintessential guy. Now compared to half the Red Wings roster, that's a big upgrade. So he he gets the average grade. So I'll say C plus
0: because I want to be a bit of a dick i feel like we're on repeat right now saying good defensively no offensive upside insert grade here yeah
2: all right so i don't know if you have a thought on who's next
1: well i was gonna say i don't know before if we before we jump to the next one do you have any thought on Ju seven because i know we skated past him for you no i do not yeah that's that's totally okay uh all right brad let's do it
2: dennis cheloski the one guy we kind of sometimes noticed offensively. Um, the biggest compliment I can actually pay Choloski uh, for his half of the season where he was up was he looked competent defensively. Not great. Never going to win a Norris. Never going to be a Troy Stetcher. But he didn't look like a complete and utter liability defensively, which he has for most of his career. So he's definitely made strides there, which is good. There were definite flashes uh in the offensive zone. He had that one where he had the beautiful rush, rang it off the post, and then decided the next game, you know what, that was fun. I'll do it again, and scored on it, hitting the post in the exact same spot. It just went in the net that time. Um, His passing was probably the biggest noticeable trait for him. I don't know what it is with this team, and I almost mean this literally. Dennis Cholosky was the only person who would consistently make a pass and hit his teammate on the tape. Like, it's such a basic hockey skill, but Cholosky was the only one who did it properly and consistently. Him and Zadina. That was it. Anybody else, there was a 50-50 chance it was hitting the guy in the boots, if getting to him at all. Um So, that being said, it also made note of him being one of the few defensemen who was able to properly transition the puck out of his own zone when it was on his stick. Um, I'll give him a B-. minus. He was fine. He, uh... But I like him more than Lindstrom. So he gets a B minus. Lindstrom gets a C plus.
1: Man, I still think Dennis is a black hole defensively. I think he's a liability defensively. I think the underlying metrics show that. By average game score, he was Detroit's worst player in terms of average game score. Everybody. Detroit's expected. Bad.
2: Don't Detroit's- look at the Dinas.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Detroit's expected uh, goals against per 65 on five without Dennis Cholosky on the ice was 2.36. Detroit's expected goals against per 65 on five with Dennis Cholosky on the ice shot up to 3.1. I think there is a noticeable difference with him on the ice. Am I willing to draw a hard conclusion on him? No, but at some point in the future, we're going to say there's only so many times we can kick the Dennis Cholosky can down the road. And it's unfortunate because it's not been a fair shake for him. I think we all agree the way that he's been brought up and sent down and developed has not been conducive to his success. Do I still have hope that he could someday become a viable part of this roster? Sure. Um, I'm not at this point putting any chips on the table for that, though.
2: He's the only power play capable defenseman we have, so we almost have to keep him around out of necessity. And Dennis Cholosky is my biggest argument for the people who want to keep Blashill around. If he's some sort of defensive wizard, okay, fix him. This is your thing. Not everyone (laughs) can do
1: everything, though. Not everyone can do everything. I know.
2: I know. I know. But you you don't get to use that argument for one guy and then throw it at another guy. I'm just saying. So, it's fine. He's fine. I'm not – I don't – my expectations of Cholosky versus two years ago are very different now. But I still think he's a serviceable NHLer who can provide the one element – of offense that the rest of Detroit's blue line absolutely unequivocally cannot do. I give Chelaski
1: a C, and I think that's a generous C because I feel bad because he's been given a bad shake, and also props to him for coming in and just playing offense in the NHL whenever he's asked to. So for that, he gets a generous C that I recognize in my mind should likely be lower.
0: I have no opinion one way or the <laughs> other.
1: <laughs> um. I don't think we can, in good faith, give Alex Biega a grade. Alex Biega is as quintessential guy as you find.
2: As you He gets find. G for guy.
1: Yeah. And that's the Red Wings defensive core. And it's funny because you talk about all this and you're like, guys, that's a lot of bad grades. This entire team was pretty much asked to only play defense. If you're a defenseman who could play two ways, you you were essentially said told if you were on the Red Wings this year – Cover your defense first. We are not scoring goals. We need to keep these games close, be annoying to play against, shut down everything from the opposing team. And, and the Red Wings did that quite a bit um, at the cost of a lot of offense from the blue line, although what existed there in terms of talent wasn't substantial. But still, Detroit did clock in throughout the year as an above average defensive team, and that deserves recognition. So, yeah, I, I mean, grades compared to our expectations were pretty low. This team was a good defensive team this year. It came at the sacrifice of a lot of offense, but there's no doubt about it. This was a good defensive team.
2: Yep. And uh, without looking it up, do you know off the top of your head which defenseman led this team in goals this year? It wasn't Danny Oh, DeKaiser's man. Four, I should know because I
0: just looked at it.
1: Was it Danny DeKaiser's four goals?
0: It, it was Danny DeKaiser yeah. with four
2: goals. Yeah. <laughs> So if they you're wondering the guys are A plus. why there weren't that many great grades given out on this defense, <laughs> second was Troy Stetcher and Mark Stahl with three apiece. So that brings us up to an even 10 goals from <laughs> half the defense on his team. Hironic with his two empty netters, Christian Juice with two, Dennis Cholosky with his one, and that's fucking it. Oh, shit.
1: Overall grade uh for this team, team defense, count the forwards playing in their own zone as well. How do you grade the Red Wings team defense this year?
2: Uh, B minus. I mean, they were one of the worst defensive teams in the NHL last year. Um, I don't want to give it a B minus because it heavily came at the expense of offense, but this is the defensive grade and they did it adequately they were absolutely propped up by goaltending um grice and bernier both had great years um but the shot share was down the uh two minute running around like chickens with their heads cut off uh pinned in their own zone shift still happened but less frequently not as many blowouts still blowouts but not as many so there there was improvements so and I will say noticeable improvements, so I'll I'll say B minus. Let's just say the offensive grade's gonna be vastly different than that. I'm giving it a solid B.
1: Yes, it did come at the expense of offense, but I still think <laughs> compared to seasons past, this was an impressive way to see some things work well for the Red Wings. Um big picture the, the the grade for the team as a whole will look different especially once we start to talk about coaching and the strategy that led to this but yeah for me a b yeah they they pissed off a lot of teams who really should have come in and, and ran them over and for that i mean that deserves recognition was it fun to watch god no I, I don't think evan or brad have taken more naps in their 30s or expected to take this many naps in
0: their 30s and that's because of
2: you guys get naps
0: yeah. I've well, learned to I sleep with it. my eyes open because of the red wings this year. <laughs> um I mean, you yeah, anyways. Y- may I if I could interject. Speaking of Dennis Trelosky, guess who's leading the league in goals this year for a defenseman? It's Danny Jacob Chikrin, four goals, Jacob Chikrin. Yeah.
2: I hate you so much.
0: Yeah. I really thought there was an unspoken pact that we wouldn't bring up
1: Chickering. <laughs> Because it's depressing, I, but no. Because I, right. I was
0: like, well, where does, because in a shortened season, I was like, well, what's defenseman scoring really like? So I wanted to see, like, you know, is four goals really that horrible? Yes. Yes, it is. Um, but someone like Petrangelo has six, but he's got a lot of points. But yeah, Jacob Chickren has 18 goals. Uh, Tyson Berry's got 48 points.
2: Yeah,
1: because he's essentially a third forward on McDavid's line.
2: Yeah. It just hurts so much more because I distinctly and vividly remember after the fifteen after Minnesota took Luke Cunning at pick fifteen, I was tweeting pictures at the Detroit Red Wings Twitter account, pictures of Jacob Chicker and saying, This guy right here, do it. And my face when Bettman walked up to the stage to announce a trade. I almost I almost Stop someone now that to be fair that trade worked out better than we thought because the extra pick we got out of it did turn into philip ronick and even though he had a disappointing season he's still a good defenseman and he's still going to be a top four defenseman for this team for a long time and there's still some hope with dennis cheloski but yeah god damn that was a bad trade
0: um philip ronick ended up 26th in the league for defensemen for points so i mean it's something i guess
2: Yeah, but when you take, I guess I'm 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 trying to (laughs) bring
0: some optimism.
1: Yeah. Um. All right. That's the Red Wings defense. We'll be revisiting the concept lightly when we talk about the team as a whole. But for now, that's the review on them. Very quickly here because I don't think there's uh, a lot of nuance to the situation. It's all pretty laid out. The goalies. Uh, Let's start with Bernier. In my mind, Bernier gets the same a minus b plus that he got last year maybe i can't remember what we gave him last year he did a lot of the same things to the degree he did last year no but he came close a lot of times he had a lot of heroic performances that stupid 50 save loss or whatever it was um this is a guy who's played extremely well behind an awful team uh he wasn't traded and red wings fans were rightly not upset about that because i hope he stays i, I what a great thing to have to have a goaltender who can play behind such a terrible team and still put up the saves and keep games close. Um yes, the team locking down on defense does help that, but also him playing well does allow the team to kind of get their bearings defensively too.
2: Deserves a medal. Yeah, the team improved defensively, but not to anything that would even be considered close to above average. Um he's still especially towards the end of the season as as much as it hurt the draft position the goaltenders uh Jonathan Bernier especially just stole points in the standings stole games the red wings really did not perform well down the stretch uh but grace and bernier did uh, bernier for me gets an a cuz i thought there was zero chance in hell he was replicating last year's performance behind a bad team and he somehow improved upon it by eight percentage points in a safe percentage putting up a 914 behind this team is a is astounding and then factoring in that the red wings did not give him or grace it was a bigger problem for grace but any goal support they were the second lowest scoring team in the league so bernier did not get the nights where his team had a two three four goal lead and all he had to do was just keep them in it just don't let the other team come back no he was fighting tooth and nail for every safe he had to make the entire year um, so yeah for, for me Bernier gets an A it was a heroic season
0: yeah um, once again Jonathan Bernier is probably the MVP of the Detroit Red Wings when I will continue to beat the drum that he should get some Vesna votes from somebody because nobody deserves <laughs> the shell shock that he receives um and Grice, I thought you know didn't have a great start to the season. I think we were kind of scratching our heads, wondering what was going on. Um, but he picked his game up in the latter half of the season. So, you know, being a goaltender in Detroit right now is very difficult. Um, and it has been for a while. So, I've got no problems giving our goalies an A.
1: Yeah, I think if
0: Bernie gets an A minus
1: or an A then. Uh, I would put Grice in just one category lower just because he did have a pretty rough acclimation process to the Red Wings. And and like you mentioned, Evan, it's not an easy adjustment. You know, you went from the Barry Trotz, New York Islanders to (laughs) the Jeff Flash of Detroit Red Wings. Like that is shell shock. Almost literally. Um, He wasn't good. He was constantly among the worst goalies in the league in terms of expected saves and things like that. But at the same time, when Bernie went down with his injury, Grice did step up in a big way. I don't put a lot of stock in wins for a goalie, even on a good team and on a bad team. Really, no. So, like, when Grice didn't have a win for a long time, I was like, yeah, it doesn't really matter, though. Like, Bernie didn't get a lot of wins last year either. It doesn't mean he didn't play well. Um, but with how with how Grice rebounded his game, I, I thought that was – it showed that there is a chance that he could be viable throughout his contract to kind of do similar to what Jonathan Bernie is doing right now. Um as Detroit figures out their goalie future. If Bernie gets an A minus, uh, Grice gets a B plus for me. Or if you want to bump that up to an A, then, uh, for Bernie, then Grice gets an A minus. It's worth noting that cumulative, cumulatively across the season, goal saved above expected. Bernie did come up with a positive number there. So 0.9 goal saved above expected. And Grice, because of his bad start and middle of the season, uh, had a negative, uh, 5.7 goals saved above expected uh cumulatively across the season so that's that's a stat that that's does not doesn't average out it, it accumulates over time so just gives you a picture of the season so i do think bernie deserves a higher grade but yeah as a whole i agree evan they get an a goalies have been the mvps of detroit for the past few years now
2: and, and you definitely can't factor in wins for goaltending in detroit because I mean, Grice had back-to-back shutouts where he didn't register an ROW in either of those games. He went 1-0-1, and that one win wasn't even a regulation or overtime win. So, yeah, it was almost a meme by the end of the season of how little goal support Thomas Grice did. Uh, his, I give him a B just because the beginning of a season was so unbelievably atrocious. I understand the transition's not easy, but it was bad. Um, so... Yeah, it's, he gets a B, Bernie gets an A. They were easily the strong point of the team this year though. Okay.
1: Uh, again as we wrap up the season review probably next episode we will be revisiting these as we look at the team as a whole but for now that is the red Wings season in review for defensemen and goalies uh player by player all right very quickly guys uh let's do some playoff predictions and if i'm not incorrect here evan you will be sending out the bracket challenge to patrons
0: yes i've already sent it out while we were talking so check you the message inbox on patreon um So the link is there. If you have any issues, just let us know. But uh, the playoffs start on Saturday. So I think the picks predictions will be up tomorrow once the playoff positions and seeds are finalized. So it's coming up quick. So we didn't give you lots of time because we didn't have a lot of time. So it is what it is. But yeah, check your inbox. uh, And if you have any questions or issues, just let us know.
1: All right, I'm gonna read out the playoff matchups. You guys give your predictions and and how many games. Uh, in the North Division, Toronto versus Montreal. I'm taking Toronto in six here.
2: Ah, uh, Montreal! It, Montreal always battles hard, but they are just not a good team. I, I'm. If Toronto gets any goaltending, this series isn't that close. I want it to be close for the entertainment value, and I don't fully trust Toronto's goalie, so as badly as I want to pick Toronto in four or five, I'll, I'll go Toronto in six.
0: The only chance Montreal has is Carey Price rises from the ashes or Jake Allen continues to be a, a very good 1B goalie. Or for some reason, Montreal's depth is superior to Toronto. I can't even say that. I can't even sell myself on that. <laughs> or Toronto's goaltending is an absolute dumpster fire, um, which I'm not betting on. Uh, man, I want to say Montreal so bad because having Toronto burn is one of the greatest pleasures of my life. Um, I'm going to say Toronto in six. Okay,
1: Uh, Edmonton as the two-seed versus the three-seed Winnipeg Jets. I will go Conor McDavid's McDavid's Edmonton Oilers in seven here. I think it won't be as easy as people think for Edmonton, but they will pull through.
2: Uh, I actually saw Conor McDavid's stats against Winnipeg this year, Uh, so I'm going Edmonton in five.
0: (laughs) That's fair. Listen, I already said... Winnipeg was getting bounced in the first round. And Paul Maurice was going to be the first coach of the Kraken. So I'm saying Edmonton in three. <laughs> um, but if I wasn't supporting my tinfoil theory, I'll say Winnipeg. I I just love their, the depth on that team. Uh, I think Paul Maurice is a better coach. I think they've got enough guys that they need to figure out what the hell to do with McDavid They need to figure out what to do with Sidle and then focus on McDavid because there's almost no stopping McDavid regardless of how much you game plan. So if they can stop one head of the snake, I think they've got a good shot. Um, But man, do I hate betting against those two players. But I'll say say Winnipeg in seven.
1: First one off the board. Okay. In the East Division, uh, Pittsburgh as the one seed against the four seed New York Islanders who have not been hot of late. I'm very tempted to take Barry Trotz here, and I think I'm going to regret not doing it, but I will go with Pittsburgh here, but I think it'll be a tough series. I'll put this one to seven. Penguins in seven.
2: Ah uh, The the memories of David Volick come flooding back. Islanders in
0: seven. Man, this one's tough, too, because I don't want to bet against – a veteran team with a sydney crosby but betting against the barry trots team that knows how to game plan is that's playing with fire too um recent form is very important and i don't think the islanders have been great as of recently but man that's gonna sound like the worst take in about a week um i'll say pittsburgh and seven momentum in hockey
2: is a myth You're a Uh, man. And
1: importantly for Detroit, the two seed Washington Capitals versus the three seed Boston Bruins, Um, both because of bias and because I genuinely think Boston is obviously a team that can't be discounted. I'm going to go Boston in six here.
2: Ovechkin's been playing injured. God knows what's going on with Evgeny Kuznetsov. They're playing young goalies, and Taylor Hall has been on fuego. Bruins in six
0: yeah um yeah I don't I, this one's tough to pick too because Boston has been insane lately and they were resting guys the other night so they're gonna come in completely fresh and ready to go um, and I got some questions about what's going on in Washington right now with some of their personnel and other things um this one's gonna be tight uh, I'll go I'll go Boston in six.
1: In the Central Division, uh, Rod the Bod's Carolina Hurricanes against Nashville, who somehow went from deadline center to a playoff team. I think this is the best candidate we have in the league for a sweep. I'll go Carolina pulls it off in four games.
2: Sweeps don't exist. Carolina in five. The gentleman's sweep.
0: <laughs> um, Nashville's been better than Carolina in the last 10 games. UC Saros is apparently God's gift to goaltending right now. Uh, that's fair. I think this is one's going to be close. I think if Nashville can muck it up and and slow Carolina down, they've got a chance. But I, you know, I I don't think it's great. I'll say Carolina in six, but I think we're going to see some close games that uh, don't go Nashville's way.
2: Nashville needs to find some goals. I have no idea where those are going to come from for them, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> Me neither. And Carolina has great goaltending right now, so. Good luck.
2: Uh, what
1: should be the best series in hockey and one that's we've deserved for a long time as fans? The Battle of Florida, the uh, two-seed Florida Panthers against the third-seed uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, the Cup champs. You consider that Victor Hedman's playing injured, needs surgery after this season, um, and the fact that I really believe in what Florida's kind of come through with this season? I think it'll be a bloodbath. And I think it's going to be fun as hell for uh, neutral fans. And I think Florida is going to come through in seven games here.
2: Ekblad's still out. Kucherov's coming back. Hedman playing Hurt is still elite. Tampa in six.
0: Man, I, th- I love this playoff series out of all of them. The Bad Blood is tangible. And it's going to be, I think it's going to be the best series of the first round, to be honest. And all 2,000... 2000- Florida Panthers fans will be so fired up because they're winning in six. Uh,
1: and the West division at the time of recording is not settled yet. Um, Vegas currently holds the one seed. Colorado can technically catch them uh, if they win both of their remaining games, even if uh, Vegas remain, uh, wins their last game. Um, let's say the the standings finish as they are right now. Vegas against St. Louis and Colorado against Minnesota. Uh, Vegas St. Louis – For me, that's Vegas in five.
2: Yeah, I'll agree. Vegas in five. St. Louis uh, has left a lot to be desired this year, and Vegas has been an absolute buzzsaw.
0: Vegas is good at every single position, and they are bigger and meaner than St. Louis, who were built to be big and mean. It is going to be Vegas in five.
1: Now, if it does end up being Colorado, actually, you know, whoever's playing Minnesota, Colorado in five.
0: Over Minnesota? No, uh, St. Louis. If oh, it's okay. conditional, of if the positions flip.
1: If you take the Colorado-Minnesota series as it stands now, I I think Colorado's a cup favorite, and I still think there's a chance they get upset here. I'll go yeah, Colorado in seven. That- but-
2: Minnesota's that team. Every time they get into the playoffs, which isn't always a thing, but when they get in there, they always seem to do damage it makes no goddamn sense because every year they are the definition of mediocre then they'll come in and they'll beat a team and they'll make a run to the conference finals before they get thwarted by jay Shigeru or nino niederreiter when he was still there but i think he actually had a game seven overtime winner against colorado not all that long ago Mi- minnesota always just seems like that team that makes it happen then I remember Colorado's roster, Colorado in six.
0: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Minnesota only scored eight less goals than Colorado this year. So, but I mean, I don't know how many games each of them have remaining. They both have two games remaining. So we'll count that as what it is. So it's, they're not that far off, but yeah, Colorado's roster is just deeper, better. It will take a miracle or the wheels completely fall off of Colorado. <clears throat> i'm gonna say colorado in six
1: all right that was our nhl uh series predictions to start just because we were kind of forced to by the hockey schedule this year um we're gonna jump into overtime i know this episode's run kind of long so we're gonna go through these pretty quickly uh overtime on this midweek episode of the winged wheel podcast is brought to you by our patreon supporter supporters we have more than one i promise um they are the reason this show happens. They are the reasons we're able to do the things we do, and they are substantially better people than any of us three talking to you right now. We're going to start with Arjun Shanker, who says, you know what's a crazy fact to think about? Eventually, Steve Eisman will be responsible for more Stanley Cups than Scotty Bowman. I love both the optimism and the, like, legacy tone to that comment.
2: I just love uh, factual statements. Yeah. Alex Zucko, uh,
1: mentions that he has a preemptive follow up to the fact, uh, that we probably already covered the Eichel news. Uh, how much would it reduce the asking price for Eichel to also take on Skinner? Six more years at nine million per and or Ocposo, two more years at six million dollars per year. Uh, Maxim Prashanth apparently earlier today said the asking price is a high first, a top prospect, which is Cider or Raymond and a young top six NHLer, Bertuzzi or Zadina.
2: That would be for Eichel straight up.
1: I I don't know if I'm interpreting the comment right, so I don't want to put words in Maxim and Prashant's mouth, but I think that's with the reduced asking price. Or no, I, I might be wrong. Anyways, what's the reduced asking price with one or both of Skinner Okposo coming with uh, Eichel?
2: Okposo's helps, but he doesn't have that much term left, so it it maybe takes out the extra prospect, but it's still a very high asking price taking on skinner's atrocity of a contract uh, that bumps the price down significantly you're still giving up probably a premium asset maybe two but that would probably be it with skinner on there
1: what about larkin this year's red wings first not the washington first and two seconds for eichel and
2: skinner is that enough i think that's too much i think skinner's contract is that big of a hit I think if you flipped the first round picks and it was Washington's, that's probably in the range. I I don't think Buffalo Look does at myself. look at what's left on Skinner's contract, man. It's bad. That's like a top uh,
1: three worst contract in the league. Jake Kiefer says due to Colorado's cap space, dealing an RFA seems unlucky. Maybe unlikely. Uh, however, uh, if they win the cup this year, do you think it would be more likely for them to not match a high price offer sheet for Makar? No, you do whatever you can to keep a Kale Makar, and Joe Sackick knows that.
2: Yeah. The salary cap is a myth. One of the big reasons offer sheets don't fly is because teams can always make it work.
1: Scott Martin, which is a great, great point of advocacy for reduced offer sheet compensation. Yep. Um, Scott Martin says, saw a hot take uh, a while back that said the next wing's captain to win a cup would be cider, implying that Larkin's either traded or stripped of the sea. Well, I don't buy either necessarily. What do you think would be more likely to happen? Oh, by far a trade. He if, is if it was one of the getting, two, it was a
2: trade. He is not getting stripped of the sea ever. You people know who Dylan Larkin is and know what he's like as a person, right? If you're thinking there is – a uh, remote possibility that gets ripped off his chest you need to get that thought the hell out of your head yesterday
1: uh keep up the good work lariana for head coach thank you scott third man and says the wings will need more elite talent to contend one way to get it is to go all in on the 22 and 23 lotteries by trying to finish last next year to guarantee a top three pick and with it one of Wright, savoy or lambert and remaining bad enough the following year to have a decent shot at either Bedard or Michkoff. What moves would be necessary to make that happen, considering they'll probably be adding cider next year and Buffalo's going to Buffalo? Um, what moves need to happen is you don't bring in any free agents that help. You trade Tyler Bertuzzi and you get rid of one of your good goalies and replace them with Calvin Pickard or someone who's really bad.
2: Which isn't going to happen, so the more realistic scenario is you add one or two pretty insignificant depth-free agents to plug the few holes Detroit has in their roster for next year and let a bunch of the rookies uh, take turns filling in those slots. Which is actually probably the most likely course of action because when you actually look at the Red Wings depth chart with some health, there's not going to be a lot of turnover next year. So, what you've seen towards the end of this year is going to be pretty damn close to what you're going to see at the beginning of next year. Or I should say at the beginning of this year, not the end, when everybody was hurt. Uh,
1: Ghosts of Podcast passes. What overall grade would you give to your pod? And then it asks about other pods. I don't think it's fair for us to grade other pods. Um, what grade would we give ourselves, though?
2: Uh, we get a six. They all get a nine. <laughs>
1: Oh, that's strangely sexual. Are you, specific, <laughs> are you specifically thinking about art while you say that?
2: Oh, I a few names come to the top of my head,
1: man. Uh, Evan, you're the only one allowed to give this pot rating, a,
0: a letter grade rating. What do you give us? I don't even know where to start. <sighs> a, B, Shut C. Shut up, Brad. I'm using a numeric system. Uh, uh, one two. It's out of a thousand so continue keep going. <laughs>
1: okay. All right, we're moving on. Moritz Cider <laughs> Spider-Man 2 says is the Red Wings best path forward to dress all their best young talent for developmental purposes while also dressing a shitty goalie for tank purposes. Funny yeah, enough, yeah. As we just mentioned the past couple minutes, yes. Sean Chavarella says, hey guys, do you see a possibility where the Wings are not the t- uh, are not the team that trades for Eichel, but instead they're a third team in order to help the other team eat the cost. I was actually thinking that earlier, and I think it's a very big possibility.
2: Ah, it's a lot of term left on Eichel's contract. I don't know if they'd want to eat like a mil and a half and two mil for five, what is it, five years?
1: Mm, let's see what comes top. back, though. Let's see what that, comes it back. It would
2: have to be a way better asset than any team would be willing to give up.
1: C. Uh, Nod says, uh, PSA, all games on NHL.com are free until the end of the season. Can't speak if that's for everyone, but at least for the Americans. Question It sounds like Blash will be extended. Do you see an increased offensive mindset moving forward? He'll have more skill in the team next year, and we can't expect players to regress in points again. We're not going to see him become an offensive coach, but I will say, I do think he will allow, you know, if Raymond plays. A little bit more freedom for Zadina as well. If Bertuzzi's healthy, Verona we saw was allowed to do Verona things. It's not going to be an offensive scheme. It's not going to be offensive systems. I don't think it's going to be as offensively muted as this year. <clears throat> Brad disagrees.
2: I'd appreciate your optimism.
1: <laughs> Brad's Ouija board says if you guys could sign one UFA
2: defenseman. <laughs>
1: to pair strictly with cider for his rookie season who do you guys think would be a perfect fit next to him who are the ufa defensemen
2: uh i don't even need to look to know my answer just for the fun the memes and actually for the mentorship zidane ochara
1: oh that would be so good that would be so good also it would be so nice to not have to fear zidane ochara killing one of your players when he's on your team uh unmentionably nasty hot dog water says i'm more positive about this season as a red wings fan we've had bad moments but a lot of fun ones i'm conflicted since i love the caps but should i root for them to lose so the wings get someone better yeah
2: yeah i'm sorry but it's a pick that's a difference of like 10 draft spots you have to root for them to lose well it depends if washington gets bounced in the second round it's a difference of like three four spots and i really don't like the (laughs) I i really don't want good things to happen to them uh duncan cooper is asking how we'd
1: rank the uh, red wing scouting department to the rest of the league any under the radar guys you see eisman bringing in to potentially round it out or do you think he'll stand pat thanks for an awesome season i live out on the west coast so i'm not able to catch many games when i do it's all ken and paul uh great pair by the way ken cal and paul woods thanks for keeping me plugged into our wings looking forward to all of your content this off season.
2: um I wish this, this I knew group the has a, scouts well enough to give a good answer here, but I don't. <laughs> this group gets a blank slate. They really
1: are in their infancy still in terms of being under the Eisenman Draper regime,
2: for lack of a better word. Um, Early returns look good and yeah. well above average, but uh, the 10 years prior, w- would the Red Wings would have ranked near the bottom of the league.
1: Evans Bingo Cart says, what combination of first round picks would you prefer for the Wings? Wallstead, Lambos, or Hughes, Cosa, and why? Thanks for everything, boys. Hope you can get your vaccine soon.
2: Uh, I'll, go I'll go Hughes, Hughes Cosa. Cosa.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's right a Red Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's a big, con- bigger conversation that I'm sure we'll have at some point in the summer about even if Wallstead pans out, why that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, and Hughes' ceiling is way higher than Lambos's, at least right now. And that's a pretty big hole for Detroit still on that left side. So I, I'd rather get the heavy premium upgrade there. And that's not even factoring in. Uh, I don't think Kosa is going to be as good as Wolstat, but if you look at Kosa's raw tools and size and athleticism, there is a reality where he could be better than Wolstat. Not betting on it, but it's not the craziest thought in the world.
1: Logan Couture's Broken Ankle says, In interviews, uh, Eisman mentioned Mantha's age as a driving factor in the trade. Burt is three months younger than Mantha. If Eisman sees the core group starting at the 2014 draft due to the current age versus current status of rebuild, it's hard to see Burt staying what percent, ch- what percent chance do you give a Burt trade and when would you do it and what would be your minimum return required? Um, very quickly here, I think it's likely. I'll give it 60%. Um, in my mind, I, I think that's maybe a little bit more aggressive than some people were thinking. When would I do it? The moment he returns to his form before injury is when I'd start looking and the minimum return. Yeah. Late first round pick, I don't think is crazy to ask for Bertuzzi.
2: Looking at what the Red Wings got for Mantha versus their production, I don't think Bertuzzi's return would be that far off of Mantha's. It won't be the same, but it won't be that far off. Also, nobody's trading for Bertuzzi until he returns to form because right now, coming off back surgery in a season where he played seven games, if I'm a good team looking for help, zero chance I'm giving up premium assets for, for Bertuzzi until I know he's healthy.
1: Tortorella's future golden boy Adam Ernie Stan Club says Connor McDavid put up 33 points in 13 games after Ken Holland said he wasn't in on the team this year, leading to him only acquiring Dmitry Kulikov at the deadline. Just want to remind everyone how stupid that guy is. Drives me nuts. I get that when you're talking about most other players, you can't be all in every year, but when you have Connor McDavid doing this, you absolutely are. Anyways, the Caminator says, heading to the terrible state of Ohio to catch a Griffins game, first live hockey in over a year. With that in mind, who is the prospect you are most excited to see get promoted from minors to the big league? This does not include prospects yet to play a game. Uh, who is I most excited to see?
2: Are we talking about Griffins? Who do we want to see the most come up? No, no. For the Red Wings, who were we most excited to see? Like they,
1: they can't be prospects that haven't played yet. Like they had to have played for the Red Wings. Um, I was, I, I remember the Nyquist hype being really big. The Nyquist hype,
2: yeah. Was Nyquist and Tatar was the one where, like, I was well into adulthood, so I fully understand, understood what was going on, and when those two came up, up, I think that would be it. Uh, Tate
1: says, Evan, how's the golf game been? You uh, you should try to drag Ryan and Brad out to the course sometime and film some golf content. Keep up the good work, boys.
0: Yeah, it's going great right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> His face. I've never seen such a genuine look of contempt from Evan on this
0: podcast. We live in the stupidest place on earth.
1: Uh yeah, we uh Ontario is in a full on aggressive shutdown, which means even the outdoor things like golf are closed. Uh for when things do open back up. We've actually talked a lot about Evan bringing us out and us filming it, so hopefully we can get to do that this this offseason. Who knows? Uh who knows? I mean. Andrew Williams says considering we still don't know what's going on with Blashfield, do you think if he were being extended or let go, we'd know by now? No, I think this is just the Red Wings being the Red Wings. Um, unlikely, but if Eisman is planning on re him or reassigning him to a different place in the organization, if that's the case, what's the best place for him to be? Thanks for the content, boys. Hopefully, we can get to the home opener this year and have ourselves a time like the before times. I don't think it's likely Rand that doesn't often. Uh, maybe temporarily until Blashell found something else. And I do think even if post-Red Wings days, Blashell will find something else. Yeah, and let's be honest, reassignments for coaches don't happen. Uh, Stay Fresh Cheesebags says, hey there, fellas. Thanks for great coverage all year. It's definitely a uh, switch to the COVID cabin fever. Love to hear Stevie Y's thoughts about the season, but he's got to wait for the aisles to get bounced from the playoffs before officially hiring Lane Lambert. Plus, he's working on fleecing Buffalo for Eichel. I'm sure of it. Cheers, fellas. Ozzy for Hall of Fame. Stay Fresh Cheesebags. And last question here is from Slava Kozlov's Doppelganger. Uh, who says, as the careers of current Russian legends like Ovi and Malkin are coming to a close, it's good to see there's new stars in the making like Michkov, Askarov, and then Laryanov. It won't matter because Russia has its head up its ass and will never win gold. 2018 doesn't count because their toughest oppo- opponents were farmers from Stuttgart. <laughs> like if they uh, didn't win with Datsuk, Ovi, and Malkin, then it's not happening ever what do you think Russia's problem is with turning good prospects into good pros? Personally, I think it's Russian pros get too comfortable in the K, where they get paid just as well as they would in the NHL if they played for SKA or CSKA or maybe even Spartak.
2: The Every league in Russia is way too lopsided. You look at the MHL, the VHL, even the KHL, it's... Uh, it's super teams, it's the n b a all the big problems with the n b a happen in Russia, but it also happens at the developmental stages so it's it's tough no matter what side of that field you're on if you're playing on one of the dumpster fire teams where you're just getting shit kicked all the time. It's not good for your development and if you're on one of the super teams, you're not playing all that many close games um or if you're a young player in the k h l on a super team, you're getting four minutes a game, so yeah unfortunately that's going to be a problem for a while
1: all right guys that's it for this episode the next time you will hear from us will be sunday barring any monumental news that requires an emergency episode uh but for now uh make sure you are following us on twitter at winged wheel pod and if you go to the bio you can see our individual accounts please be sure to follow those as well because as news flows in we will be commenting on it probably far too much we'd like to thank all of our listeners for this podcast um the support you guys show is amazing. The patrons, again, really couldn't do it without you. The name level sponsors from Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Yves Bartel on behalf of the Sierra Garon Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of Evans, Furcwagon, Taylor Tadgell, Brandon M, Citizen High Five, Craig Gibble Craig Kibble, Greech, Hannah Lee. Hassam kassem Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Kyle McClure, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, uh, unmentionably nasty hot dog water, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor layton and Evans Bingo Card, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minema. Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, Old fashioned Ass licking, <laughs> as good as it gets, Stan Olsen, Stay Fresh, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, and Trevor Pevivar. Thank you all so much.